Hello, I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reefer Tales. And today, before I tell you about what our episode is about, um, I want to go ahead and state that the topic of today's episode was a decision that I made based on uh, the overturn of the Roe versus Wade on Friday. So it might be a touchy subject to some, but I want to go ahead and make it clear that the Reaper gals fully stand behind the rights of women, and that also includes their right to an abortion. And with this being overturned, it's just another right that has been taken away, a healthcare right and healthcare concern for women and people non-binary people included and it's not the first step this is the first step in taking away multiple rights for women and I believe it's an important topic that I'm going to talk about today I understand that if you are a pro-life advocate that you may stand in opposition with what our beliefs may be however I do believe once you listen to this episode You might have a different opinion because this episode is going to include women's struggles to get the health care that they need uh, in the past before Roe versus Wade uh, came into effect. With that said, I am going to tell Samantha about the Jane Collective. But before we get started, Sam, what are we drinking? Today we are drinking Dear Jane. It is one ounce of gin. One ounce of Campari, I think is how you pronounce it. 0.75 ounces of sweet vermouth. 0.25 ounces elderflower liqueur. And you're going to garnish it with a lemon twist. You're just going to add all the ingredients to a glass. Add a large ice cube. Stir until chilled. And then um, you're going to twist the lemon peel. Because that gets the oils out. And garnish it. All right. So here we go. Cheers. Cheers to women's rights. Yeah, it was good. Delicious, as always. So before I get started in talking about the Jane Collective, I want to talk about an important person in the Jane Collective. So I'm going to tell you about Heather Booth. Are you ready? I think so. (laughs) I'm very interested in this. I haven't heard anything about it. So let's get started. All right. So, Heather was born December 15th, 1945, in a military hospital in Brookhaven, Mississippi. During this period, her father served as an army doctor. Later in her teens, she attended high school in Long Island's North Shore after her family had moved to the upscale area. She has two brothers, David and Jonathan. Heather grew up in a warm, loving, and supportive family. Her parents taught her the importance of recognizing injustice and acting to correct it. They were observant Jews belonging to a liberal synagogue who showed, by example, the importance of treating others with decency and respect. From her Jewish upbringing, Booth learned to take on responsibilities for building a society that reflected these goals. 
In high school, Booth joined a sorority and the cheerleading team, but left before left both of them when she came to believe that their members were discriminating against students who did not lead their privileged lives. She began leafletting against the death penalty. In 1960, she joined CORE in the protest against the segregationist policies of the Woolworths chain. Upon graduating from high school in 1963, she spent the summer traveling in Israel and that fall enrolled as a freshman at the University of Chicago. She chose that school in part because it had no sororities and de-emphasized sports. In college, she quickly immersed herself in political activism. In 1967, she received a Bachelor's of Arts degree in in Social Sciences, then in 1970s, a Master's of Arts degree in Educational Psychology, both from the University of Chicago. So, Soon after she arrived on campus, Booth ran up against the university's bias in favor of its male students. In 1965, she began to set up consciousness-raising groups to deal with the problem. These small groups of women met regularly to speak about incidents, both minor and more serious, that seemed to be unique but often proved to be shared. In a, fa- in a pamphlet published in April 1968, Booth and two co-writers noted a tendency for women to see their problems, quote, see their problems as personal ones and thus blame themselves, unquote. In discovering how many ostensibly unique concerns were actually common ones, members gained a sense of the collective influence they might exert towards changing. The unfair practices and dismissive attitudes they had previously accepted as cultural norms. She also helped to organize a course on women's studies, began to coach women who were uneasy about speaking up in class, and conducted a study on the disparity of treatment between male and female students in the classroom. Noticing a similar unequal treatment among student activists, she founded a campus group, the Women's Radical Action Program, to document and counter the ways in which women were relegated to subordinate roles in national organizations such as Students for a Democratic Society and SNCC. In 1967, Booth joined with other activists to form the Chicago West Side group, which was reported to have been the first women's liberation group in the country with the primary goal of raising the consciousness of its members. So I also want to point out that Heather did a lot of work for civil rights movement. Her opposition to racial discrimination began when she was still in elementary school. Oh, wow. Yeah. She defended an African-American fellow student who was being attacked for allegedly stealing another student's lunch money. The girl who made the accusation was found to be the one who had put the money in her shoe and forgotten it. Wow. And then just, you know, blamed. Obviously, because I don't know where my money is, so somebody must have taken it. It Regardless of being able to say who it was, but to jump immediately to somebody took it. Not just somebody, but somebody of color. Right. So, but, you know, all right. 
1985 interview, Booth said, I remember, this is a quote, I remember having the feeling that you don't do this to people. Unquote. While in high school, she joined the Congress of Racial Equality, C-O-R-E, that's CORE, what I mentioned earlier, to help protest Woolworth's lunch counter discrimination in the South. In 1963, soon after... By the way, that's a a very famous situation. We have a civil rights museum here in Birmingham, and they detail that out, which I had not heard of it until I went through the museum on a tour. Um, And I was really surprised. I didn't realize that was such a big issue at the time, for a long time, actually. Yeah, they had... um, I I did the... uh... Oh man, now I'm not gonna remember the name of it, but I during Black History Month uh, last year, or it was the year before last. It was during COVID. I got to do the virtual tour of the Black History Museum through work, and they talked about the sit-ins and stuff like that for diners, and it mm-hmm. was so it was happening up here as well. Um, but I think it might have been. Maybe it's a, I don't, I don't remember, but anyway, uh, it's an interesting topic, I think. For sure. So she joined the Congress of, uh, Racial Equality Corps to help protest Woolworth's lunch counter discrimination in the South. In 1963, soon after enrolling in college, she became head of a group called Friends for SNCC that was organized on campus to support the students the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. She also became student liaison to the Chicago Council of Community Organizations, CCCO. That's a lot of acronyms. It's a lot of C's. <laughs> so many C's for an acronym, but I'm here for it. Let's go. Which was then protesting school segregation in the city. As CCCO liaison, she helped coordinate Freedom Schools in the Chicago South Side. Booth joined the Freedom Summer Project in which volunteers from northern and western colleges and universities worked to register black voters and set up Freedom Schools and Libraries in Mississippi. Wow. She was arrested for the first time. The first time. (laughs) While she was carrying a sign saying, and I quote, freedom now, explanation point, boom, during a peaceful demonstration in Shaw, Mississippi. In an interview in 1989, she said that the experience reinforced her commitment to the civil rights movement. Confronted by the violent resistance of white Mississippians, she feared that her own life, she feared for her own life, but also realized that she could leave whenever she wished. It was awed by the extraordinary heroism of the black residents with whom she worked. This is a quote. They had a quiet heroism, she said, not only, not just by standing up to bullets, but by day by day, being willing to go and talk to their neighbors have meetings in the churches, talk people into their homes. She, unquote, she said. That work was full of tiring and frustrating tasks, but realized that it is the mundane, everyday work that brings meaningful change. 
So it's true. That's Heather Booth. And we'll get to why she's important in just a moment. (laughs) Well, I hope so. Before Roe versus Wade passed in 1973, it was difficult and dangerous to procure an abortion. Even legal and medically necessary ones ordered by a doctor and approved by a hospital board were extremely rare. So you had to like go through a doctor. The doctor had to go to the hospital's board. The hospital's board had to approve the abortion if it was going to be done. And, you know, let's think about this too. If it was medically necessary, the amount of time it takes to do all of these things could very, very likely cause the loss of life on one or both sides of that equation. I actually just read a story in one of the shotgun states where a woman came in uh, at 11 p.m. Friday night after the shotgun ban came into place in her state. She had an ectopic pregnancy and she had For to those wait. of you who don't know what that is, I mean, easily just look it up. It's not that hard, but it is not a viable pregnancy. It's in fact, life-threatening for the woman. Oh yeah. Uh, there, there is no exception. It is not a viable pregnancy. The, the embryo has been fertilized inside the fallopian tube and it is starting to grow and if it continues to grow it'll rupture the fallopian tube and it will kill the mother anyways it took hours for her to get treatment because the doctor what had to go to his lawyer and see if he could perform the procedure and by the time they got in to do the surgery to remove it her abdomen was full of blood she survived but she almost died and that's what that's why Roe versus Wade was so important. Um, so that's my little it's, tangent. This should not be. It should not be a doctor's primary concern to make sure that it is legal to do something medically necessary to save a life. Right. But he doesn't want to lose. His I mean, license. I don't blame him. I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm just saying he shouldn't have to. Right. I agree. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, back to it. In, any case, in many cases, there were women who were unable to obtain the procedure even though their pregnancies caused life-threatening health issues. Their options were dangerous. They could go to underground providers, which were overly expensive and unsanitary. They would, most, most of the time, they would be sexually harassed by these providers and women were desperate. Yeah, I mean, and and when you when you're going to a place like that, it's not legalized. You're doing something illegal, so those doctors can take advantage of you. Because what are you going to do? Exactly. There's nothing you can do. They're the only people who can help you. You're in a vulnerable state. And if you don't have anybody that you can trust that can go with you, you're completely vulnerable. You don't even have somebody there to take care of you if anything were to happen. Exactly. That's so true. So this is where our lovely Heather Booth comes in. In 1965, 19-year-old Heather was attending the University of Chicago. She had heard from a friend whose sister was pregnant and desperately trying to find a doctor who would provide an abortion. 
Heather asked around and was able to find a number of a trusted doctor from an acquaintance in the civil rights movement. So she was, I mean, she had a lot of connections. So, oh, I'm sure. Um, it quickly spread that she knew a doctor who would help women, quote unquote, in trouble. And soon Heather was receiving more phone calls than she could manage. So she recruited a few volunteers. Uh, and these volunteers were from the liberations, the women's liberations meetings. And they formed the Abortion Counseling Service of Women's Liberation, the service for short. They decided to use the code name Jane because it was an every because it was an every woman's name. <laughs> Why? What? It's it literally just says because it's an every woman's name. It was the seventies. Everyone was named Jane. Okay. All right. So kind of like Mary or what is it? Marie is like everybody's middle name now. Oh yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Um, one member of the group volunteered her home phone number as Jane's number. And as word spread, phone calls poured in asking for Jane. Many of the founding members of Jane lived in the Hyde Park neighborhood where they held meetings and took phone calls in their apartments and universe at the, and at the university of Chicago dorm rooms. I will spit it out eventually. <laughs> Bear with you me. A lot of, you've had a lot of tongue twisters, so. I don't know why. So, at the time, there was very little information available about abortion or about women's reproductive health in general, due in part to outdated Comstock laws that prohibited the spreading of obscene materials and information. I'm sorry. If learning about my vagina myself is obscene, go fuck yourself. Well, nobody wants to talk about that. You don't have to. That's, that's gross. Who wants to hear about that? They can't I even do. think about the fact that you're reading about it. Jesus Christ. I don't know, whatever. The Janes, as they were sometimes called, had scoured the library for information that could help them counsel the folks, the folks, folks, who called, but found only a few references in medical books. The counselors had to rely on their own experiences and those of the women they referred to the providers. As the group expanded and core members developed their relationships with the abortion providers, they learned everything they could about the procedure. They also developed relationships with doctors who didn't perform the procedure themselves, but were willing to see women for follow-up care if necessary, and to teach the Janes more about reproductive health care. So they're doing the whole thing at this point. Well, most of the whole thing. They're learning about their reproductive health. They're getting providers for after, or they're getting health care providers for after they have the abortions for follow-ups to make sure that they don't have any infection, make sure it was viable, To there's nothing left, you know, all, all of that thing. So it kind of uh, sounds a little bit like some of the things that Planned Parenthood provides. For Education, sure. Education, mm -hmm. care. For sure. The Comstock laws also prohibited helping someone procure an abortion by providing a referral. 
Everyone involved understood that what they were doing was against the law and felt strongly enough about it that they were willing to risk arrest in order to help other women. The Janes viewed abortion as a critical issue for women's liberation. They were, quote, for every woman having exactly as many children as she wants, when she wants, if she wants, unquote. That, that's a powerful statement. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that sums it up perfectly. Um, and it doesn't, so like what they did didn't just stop there. As you can imagine, the word spread through Chicago that women in need of abortion could call Jane. The group placed ads in alternative newspapers and student newspapers that read, quote, pregnant? Don't want to be? Call Jane. 643-3844. Wow. In order to contact the service, a woman would call the number and leave a message asking for Jane. They would not give much details in their, they wouldn't give like any details in their message, just like a callback number. It's like a safety precaution or whatever. Afterwards, one of the Janes would call back, saying something along the lines of, this is Jane from the Women's Liberation, returning your call. We can't talk freely over the phone, but I want you to know that we can help you. Unquote. They would then set up a time and place to meet in person for counseling sessions. The Janes needed to be careful, so they waited for the women to bring up abortion themselves. So, like, the Janes wouldn't just come out blatantly and be like, all right, you're here for an abortion. (laughs) Well, and, you know, if they are giving counseling sessions or at least talking to them, they also are probably getting an idea of, you know, have you thought all of this through? Do you understand what this could entail? You know, even afterwards, they're, they're having those conversations. The woman's probably pregnant. Have you thought this through? What are your options? All of those things. So that way they can make sure they've, they really know this person well enough to move to the next stage. Yep. They would send the women who had the means to travel out of the country or to states with more laxed abortion laws. However, the majority of the women who came to Jane could not afford to travel. And they still can't to this day, by the way. That's why abortion is important in most states. Not everybody has the means to travel. And if they don't have the means to travel, they don't have the means to care for a child. I mean, yeah. Many could barely afford the procedure and were encouraged to borrow from social networks Or sell whatever they could. Later, someone with fundraising experience joined Jane. And they established an abortion fund with donations from wealthy connections in the women's liberation movement. So they had an abortion fund going. Is this all seeming... They're moving a lot. They're moving a lot. But is it seeming very familiar? Very timely? Yes. Quite. So they've set up their own. All right. So let's recap. They started a network of providers that can offer abortions. They've kept it secret. They've uh, counseled the women on their reproductive health. They've counseled them on getting an abortion or not getting an abortion on the best options for them. And they set up funds to be able to 
help fund abortion for women who don't have the funds to do it themselves. So they're, they're killing it. What else can Mm -hmm. they do? I mean, there's only one thing really left that they could do, and that would be to make it legal. (laughs) It's the only thing they could do to make it legal. But they did something else. When the Janes discovered that at least one of their providers to whom they'd been referring women was not in fact a doctor, they realized that if he can learn how to provide abortions safely, so could they. Well, there's a thought. They began operating out of a front, an apartment where women and those accompanying them, friends and children, could wait. The procedures took place in an apartment separate from the front at an undisclosed, it was undisclosed. I'm not even (laughs) going to trip right over that. Frequently changing locations. Following an abortion, the woman would be given the phone number of a doctor who could perform follow-up medical care if necessary. The Janes performed close to 11,000 abortions and none of their patients died. Furthermore, the Jane collected collective operated on a sliding scale, making abortion not only safe but accessible. The price for abortion, once they started providing them themselves, was reduced from $500 per abortion to 100 One thing I'll say, this means that there was some uh, gouging going on. Oh, 1,000%. From those doctors. They could, they could have not they could charged have. as much. But they weren't going to do that because they weren't doing this out of the goodness of their heart. No, they weren't. They were doing it because they wanted to make money on the side. You were exactly right. You're exactly right. They were only doing it for money. I mean, some of them, I won't say all of them. I, some of them were doing it solely for the money. There are providers that were out there at that time who believed that women had the right to choose. But it was hard to find them. Well, and you also got to think, too, playing devil's advocate, they probably had real practices, some of them. So if they got caught, they weren't just going to get fined. They weren't just going to be in trouble or arrested. They could lose their entire practice and never be able to perform again. And they were going to go to prison. So, I mean, I can get it. They are taking a really big risk. Um, So just to be fair. But at the same time, it is kind of yeah. interesting that they made but isn't that such bananas? a huge change like, as far as the price. Of, they did. Like the actual cost. That's a fifth. Yeah. A fifth of the price. It's a fifth. And they've already done so much to get this going. All of the work, all the advocacy that they did. And then they, they were just like, look, this one doctor. And actually, I read somewhere else. Where, like, when the group found out about this doctor, um, some of them left. Because they didn't like the fact that he wasn't an actual doctor. They, you know, they didn't agree with what was happening or whatever. But the others were like, well, if he's not a doctor and he can do it, so can we. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's pretty dope. That. (laughs) That's not a leap I would have taken. Um, Too squeamish. Uh, (laughs) Well, no, I mean, just uh, think about it with anything. Like, 
well, if he can do it, I can't. That That's not a thought, or if even if she can do it, I can't. That's not a thought I have a lot, especially with things that I have no knowledge of. These are not doctors. These are not women with medical histories. This is them. Fair. Now, they understand the woman's reproductive system. Yeah, probably that's better than most for and that's basically like the, the main that's the main thing that they needed to know for sure um but at the same time i'm like i have no medical background but if they can do it and they're not a doctor i can totally do that no not nah, dude no there's the, maybe with maybe with cooking that'll be the one exception but this is a whole nother thing that doesn't cost people their lives if you do it wrong well most of the time yeah most of the time uh but i mean eleven thousand. they performed Almost 11,000 abortions and nobody died. No one died. I won't get into it, but it's kind of like the thing where uh, they didn't understand germ theory and they didn't wash their hands when women would have babies and they would end up catching the disease and end up dying. And then they did a test on a medical ward where women had babies and where they just had midwives. And... The rate was insane on the deaths on one side and the midwives had almost none. And the mm-hmm. difference was they washed their hands. Wash your hands, people. We're in the COVID. <laughs> the women had it figured out. Yeah. They weren't even doctors. They were they were trained in delivering. And they managed to handle it. But the doctor's like, well, phew, washing your hands. What is that going to do? They argued for a very, very long time, by the way. But, I mean, it's along those lines. Women, you got this. Why don't you yeah, just take over all of it? <laughs> I'm, I, again, I'm not one of those women. I almost pass out when I have to change a Band-Aid on my own boo-boo. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't do it. But I applaud those yeah. that did in the past. Um, For so. sure. Women are stronger in a lot of ways. So many sisters, wives, girlfriends, and daughters of police officers were referred to Jane leading the group to believe that as long as no one was seriously injured or killed by one of the procedures, the police would continue to look the other way. But in 1972, Jane was raided by the Chicago Homicide Department. Abortion fell under the jurisdiction at that time. Fell under their jurisdiction. So abortion was considered a homicide at that time. Oh, wait, we're we're, we're back there. Sorry. Uh, I'm laughing because I'm, I'm like, really oh, holding oh. stuff back right now. <laughs> you know, I we're trying, we're trying our hardest. Um, six Facts. Jane, <laughs> six Jane members were arrested at the apartment where they were performing abortions. With one more arrested at at an apartment on Everett Street in Hyde Park neighborhood, which was likely being used as the waiting room slash front. The police officers reportedly kept asking, where's the man? I swear to fucking God. <laughs> I would love it if that's all they were asking. Cause I, he's around here somewhere. Uh, let me, let me go get him and just leave. <laughs> get somebody from next door and bring him in. He's got no clue what's going on. Expecting to find that a man was reforming the abortions. Of course they did because women are only good for carrying babies and being forced to care being no, babies. they didn't need a sandwich. They wanted something else. There was a doctor there somewhere. It wasn't them. The seven Janes arrested were held in jail overnight, 
then let out on bail until they were to face trial. While the quote-unquote Jane Seven were preparing for their trial, the rest of the Janes continued to do the work. So it didn't stop. Just because they were arrested, it didn't stop. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Just because you ban something doesn't mean that it's going to stop. That is very true. I've heard that argument plenty of times for a different subject matter. But we hmm. won't go there. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay. We're not political. We're not going to go there. The highly publicized trial was delayed several times. So I've read in some places where I think it was delayed mostly by their lawyers. And that is because by the time the case was set to go to trial, it was dismissed. Roe versus Wade had passed, making abortion legal. Jane's services were no longer needed, and all seven Janes were released. Smart lawyer. All in all, all seven Janes would have been prosecuted for 110 years if they had gone to trial. Wow. So I was like, this is such an interesting to like topic and all of these things. And what actually brought me to this topic was um, I, I was looking up rallies in Charlotte, uh, where I live, right around where I live, to join the rallies. And I looked at a headline on Saturday morning because one of the bigger rallies that happened here was on Friday night when the news came out. And it popped up that someone from the uh, Jane um, Collective was actually at a rally in Charlotte. And I was like, what is a Jane Collective? So I started researching it. And I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> Sam is going to love this. I mean, it's kind of crazy that I've never heard of this. Like, I've, I've literally never heard any part of this whatsoever. Nope, me either. Not once. So I decided I didn't want to stop there. I also wanted to see uh, what uh, Heather Booth had to say about uh, the overturn of Roe v. Wade on Friday. Uh, so I looked it up and she had some pretty powerful words because she is still alive, by the way. Um, she's not that old. 70s? Yeah. So... Heather said about the Supreme Court decision on Friday, I was outraged, but I wasn't shocked. I was outraged because it's a violation of the popular will in a small d democracy. There is overwhelming support for it, and it's the moral high ground to support this most intimate freedom of a woman's life about when or whether we have a child. I was outraged because women will be harmed, especially women with the least means. The ones with the greatest means will be able to go to sanctuary states like Illinois. Others will not have alternatives, and lives will be thwarted or ended. But I wasn't surprised because there's been a 50-year battle where rules have been designed state by state, law by law, rule by rule to whittle away a, fundament, a fundamental freedom. This has been made a partisan political issue, and now it's been embraced by the, fact, the Trump faction of Republican Party for partisan reasons. End quote. Wow. 
I'd say she's pretty mad. I'd say so. And she's she's not wrong. She's not wrong. And she has every right to be mad. All the work that she did 50 years ago to pave to help pave the way to health care that was needed for women. And she could take a breath for a little bit, not even the full 50 years, because this is not a battle that started last Friday. This has been a battle that's been ongoing for years and years. And it shouldn't even be a battle that we have to fight. It is a fundamental health issue for women. And that's it. Yeah, I agree. So your thoughts? I will also say, um, I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to list some companies that have come out publicly to say that they're helping to cover their employees with their health care, including offering coverage for the actual abortion or travel benefits to go out of state. Um, There is a long list and this list has been growing since Friday. Some of them came out like Saturday morning, I think, and started explaining that they were going to offer this. Um, So the current list that I was able to find is JP Morgan, Chase, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Meta Platforms, Yelp, Amazon, Levi, United Talent Agency, Tesla, Microsoft Corp, Starbucks, Netflix, MasterCard, Kroger, Uber, DoorDash, Lyft, Bank of America, Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank, American Express, Macy's, Walt Disney, Gucci, and Bank of Nova Scotia. And that list is growing because the last time I looked at it, it was shorter than that. <laughs> but these are companies that are, they're not just a this and their employees, they're putting their money where their mouth is. I am, they are going to give benefits to their employees specifically for this. And it's not just for the employees most of the time, it's for a family member as well. So. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That's amazing. I mean, so, it's I mean, not amazing, but uh, I mean, it is amazing, but it's at the same time, also, it's healthcare. It is healthcare, but these are companies that are not just saying, well, we give you healthcare coverage. They're saying this is an additional healthcare coverage. This is money we're taking and giving to you to help you cover the travel costs as well as the costs of the procedure itself. And they're not just quietly telling their employees, these people have, these companies have come out in public and said, this is what we are doing for our employees. Now that could harm them almost as much as it could help them, but they are taking a stance. So I personally think that's pretty amazing. I think it is too. And I just want, I want to go ahead and say that I have a couple of resources here. If you are someone that you love or care about, it needs any type of abortion resources. Uh, You can find funding for your abortion at a national network of abortion funds. You can go on the website and um, search through to find your state and see where you can get funding for your abortion or an abortion for a loved one. You can find a clinic at INeedANA.com. These are safety clinics, so go on there, put where you're in. It'll give you your closest clinic that you can get to. Um. Find a verified abortion provider at abortionfinder.org. And if you're looking to 
if you're if you're not looking for an abortion or but you're looking to do something um or help in this cause which shouldn't be a cause but whatever um you can go on the ACLU's website they have a map up there where you can find your local rallies for this uh go on search it'll give you your closest rally to you and go enjoy and bring a sign make sure that you're protesting you can also be sure to vote i know that that gets said a lot but there's a reason why this law got passed and at the end of the day it all comes down to voting in that and specific research area. research research who you're voting for Just because you read one publication that says they believe certain things does not mean that that's actually what their work has proved. Yeah. And just to tell you what I'm personally doing myself, um, I am donating to uh, a charity, an abortion fund charity for um, uh, people of color uh, because they are marginalized and I'm also volunteering with the, I've signed up to volunteer with the Planned Parenthood uh, in my city. Since the news has come out on Friday, the local Planned Parenthood in my area has been overrun with protesters yelling at women who are only there to get the health care that they need. And it's pretty upsetting. So if you live in a sanctuary state, even though you have access to abortions now, there's more that you can do. And I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing is happening in your state that is currently happening in mine. And that is people are protesting and harassing women outside of those clinics. So if you're able to volunteer, please do. And I don't have really a place that I can volunteer as much. So uh, my the way that I'm going to support is going to be with donating money because that's the best way that I can support right now and they're going to need it still. So do what you can. Anything you do is going to help. So no matter how small, just do something. Exactly. So what did you think of the story, Sam? It was fascinating and I love hearing about badass women. So... This okay. this had everything. <laughs> this was unbelievable <laughs> from start to finish. I'm not even going to lie. And, you know, it, w- it wasn't just one woman, but somebody had to spark that fire. And oh, once sure. one person started it, I mean, look what happened. It, 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 <laughs> it went up in flames, literally. Like, it just went crazy. And... Also, need I uh, mention, interesting that there wasn't a whole lot of violence mentioned about for these women. No, these women were just getting the care that they needed. Exactly. They desperately needed but couldn't get. So, again, just great story all around. You did did an awesome job. Thanks, even though I stumbled. (laughs) I'm trying to get back in the groove. (laughs) That's what happens when we have a, a... I come over there for a quote unquote vacation. We record a bunch of times, but it takes us an hour to get the sound right every single time, which is a little nerve wracking. And we didn't have an hour this time because everything was already set up. I know it's been crazy. (laughs) Oh, I didn't get my resources. Uh, Real quick, my resources. 
there's an article from embryo.asu.edu that I pulled from. There is an article from smithsonianmag.com, encyclopedia.chicagohistory.org, of course, Wikipedia, and there is a really good article um, in the C the clio.com um, on the Chicago Women's History Trail area on the Jane Collective. So that, as well as, there's a, a documentary that, and I haven't watched it yet, it was released last month. I think it's on HBO. I plan on watching it as soon as we get done with this recording. I didn't want to watch it before because I wanted to do my research and then go and watch it on the Jane Collective. So it's a whole documentary and it has... How timely is that? Some of the women from the Jane Collective in it. That's pretty cool. You'll have to tell me how it is. I, I'm not going to be able to, you know, do that tonight. Um, it's getting a little late, but I'll definitely have to look into it. So I wanted to send you a picture of the some of the women who were arrested. Because this is just so, I don't know. Seeing it, it's so 70s, too. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at them. That's impressive. Badass women. Mm-hmm. We'll post that on our Instagram. But anyways. Yeah, I definitely will. Thank you for listening. Um, ye- Sam, where can they find us? At on Instagram. Reaper- <laughs> at Tales Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Reaper Tales Podcast. You can email us at ReaperGals. <laughs> okay, all right. You can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. And make sure you rate, review, subscribe to wherever you listen to us at Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, And let us know if you want to listen on any other possible uh, platform Mm -hmm. we need to know. I will include the links for um, all of the abortion resources and all of my resources in the show notes uh, so that you have those available to you. We will also uh, include them on our posts, the abortion resources on our posts on our social medias so that they're up there as well. Until next time. Fidelity just sent sent an email letting us know that they're also going to start giving additional benefits for anybody who has to travel. The 